Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Yo. Shall we? Do you reckon which episode do you reckon pe- people have most clicked first to listen to? <laughs> on field or off field? Who knows? What do you reckon, Phil? This one because I haven't done the full intro on this because I'm just assuming that people would have gone. Oh, I want to hear all about the rugby first. Nause and because <laughs> their rugby nause is like us, yeah. and they'll go. Oh, I'll, I'll save all the I'll save all the drama and all the off field stuff for later. Rugby first, particularly this weekend. I, I hope so. I don't know. I reckon there might, I think there might be quite a lot of people that go, oh, awesome, bit of scandal, bit of drama, let's go. So, yeah, this podcast, um, second one in, in, in your feed, all the chat about the finals, Prem Final in particular, and a bit on England as well, and other stuff uh, is in your feed already. That's why you should hit subscribe and you get every episode delivered to you. Leave your five-star review. Support us at patreon.com forward slash egg chasers for even more extra content. Um, but this one is about everything not concerning rugby on the field because there's been a fair bit of stuff bubbling off the field, hasn't there? Where do you want to start, JB? Let's start with something rugby-ish, shall we? Um, what about the salary cap report? Yeah, go on, Phil. This is your specialist subject. Take us through it. So, in Lord Miner's... Um, report 18 months or so ago we made a series of recommendations to be implemented one of which was this a um, to provide greater transparency into the salary cap and how it is being managed to provide a report on it so we now just a few days before the final the premiership final there was the release of the salary cap report which is the 2020 2021 salary cap report so not the season that has just finished um but the season before that so so before the 25 percent drop in earnings before the drop before the reduction in excluded players um and it does it captures um the covid year as well okay and obviously this this doesn't show any scandal like the saracens or the wasps or the leicester um indiscretions and really the insights from it are about the um, the incomes of the players and it breaks down the incomes of the players in several dimensions. And I mentioned the um, average income and average as in uh, mean income, um, although it does use the term average for, for this. Average income um, by age, by um, international caps, which is quite interesting, and by for the excluded players, 
and also for the um, position by position, which is one of the ones that's been shared most because it, it provides the not entirely unsurprising um, stat that fly halves are the best paid. The average fly half is the best paid uh, position in the league. And the slightly surprising stat that hookers are on average the worst paid position Does in the league. Does it surprise you? So it, it did a tiny bit, but then when I thought about it, probably not. Yeah. It, it seems to surprise a lot of people. And it's actually the, the two least or the two lowest average paid positions is scrum half and hooker. Yeah. And we know the reason think, why. Go on. Well, I've, my reading of this is there's probably two parts to it. One, um, lots of people can play those positions because you don't have to be six foot five or over, or you don't have to run a um, sub um, sub 11 second hundred meters and you don't have to squat. Well, hookers will be able to, to squat or deadlift 200 kg plus, but they're, they're more like normal human beings for one. Um, number two, they are entirely specialized positions. So they are not um, transferable positions. Generally, there are, there are a handful of people um, like uh, Francois Houhard who can play wing and scrum half or someone like um, Ashley Johnson or Gabrielle O'Grey who can play back row and hooker. But they, they're specialized, which means you've got to have more of them. Kind of Four players in yeah. the squad, and, and so you're, and you're averaging. Be... So if if you took out the the yeah. the third and fourth and just average the top two, I bet they would be much much closer to the fly halves, and they wouldn't be the poorest played paid player on the team. No, I, I, you, no, they would they would be closer to the the average yeah. um, salary across the band across, rather across than the, way yeah. off the bottom. Agreed. Yeah, because you're you, you've got like your third choice. If you think about the I know. So I, I'm just thinking of Leicester. So they, they would they would have like Mon, Monto, Montoya. Yeah, would, would is on mega money. Yeah, and Nick Dolly will be on a bit. Charlie Clare will be on not very much. Relative. Yeah, and um, Cowan Dickey will be on even less. So uh, this yeah. is not how I see it, and uh, I, I'm surprised you were not like um, unless I've misunderstood what you've said. I would say that there's just too much supply of hookers. Um, effectively, because you only need one of them, you don't need a pair of like you don't need a pair of hookers. You don't need, like you need a pair of second rows. There's only fifteen starting positions for hookers in the in, in the entire league. Uh, yeah, but if you get an sorry, injury, 15. if you get an sorry, injury, um, you have to pick a hooker. Whereas if, if you you can do as even at international level, when you can pick whoever you want, you have players where you go, well, oh, okay, well if. If we lose a second row, that's fine. We can slot one of our back rows in there. Yeah. You can't do that with hooker well, you, or scrum half. Well, you can with hooker. No, you can't. Well, you can. Um, Not really. You, okay. So, shall I say you can again? And you okay. can say, okay. <laughs> right. So, um, you're seeing a lot more players like uh, Cam Neal, who actually went away from hooking completely to back row. Um, Langdon's a good example of this. Ogre's a good example of it. Lads that cover hooker and back row for that exact reason. Um, Thacker is another one. Not the, many, though. The thing about hooker is you can play it in any way you want to play it. 
So you can be a Harry Thacker, you can be an Ogre, but conversely, you can also be like an auxiliary prop, like a Rob Webber, say. So you've got a range of body shapes. There's not one particular thing. So because it's quite an easy position to play, i.e. anyone can play there. What? You, it, 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 well, it is. What are you so, talking about? You've got to remember, the, the salary cap breaks down into two things. or Yeah, two things. Rare skill or rare size. And for hookers, they don't really have a rare skill because you can be either a back row type hooker or a front row type hooker. There's not that many places available because, you know, like you say, and, you know, if you're on the bench as a hooker, quite often you're coming in into the game. Like Sale played every one of their hookers except yeah. Aka van der Merwe but, but on the, the flank. You're, you're playing down the, the difficulty of the fine motor skills and how many hours of practice that requires and therefore why you don't just go oh we've got an, we've got a, an injury do we, oh do we need to get a, an injury replacement <laughs> hooker in from a championship <laughs> club oh no just chuck our loose just chuck one of our loose heads in there it is nobody does that it is utterly hilarious watching seasoned professionals try and throw a ball exactly it so is. so I'll which is that, why yeah. if if you have a if you have a, a winger that goes down, you can go, oh, well, we've got an outside centre, we can probably yeah. slot in there, full back, put, on, put him on the wing, can I, can fly I, half, we can put him at full back, but you just don't, that's why it's... Can this. I just say this, all right? Uh, I'm not saying it shouldn't be the case you, that you can yeah. do that. You can, you've, you've caught a rugby ball plenty of times, haven't you, Tim? Yeah. And you've thrown a rugby ball. I do. Pl- pl- I plenty of times, okay? Same, same for you, Phil. And most of, most of the time, the, per, the player passing it to you it's going to have a range of distances, a range of speeds. You've got a range of people coming at you. It, the timing of when he releases that ball is dictated as much by the defence as it is uh, what he wants to do. And then when you pass it, you don't know who's around you. You've got to pick the right option. Hooker, you throw it in at your own bloody time. No one's trying to tackle you. And you've got to throw it to pretty much the exact same spot time and time again. You know, as skills go... My guess is most hooking, most hookers mess up because their their jumper or their lifter hasn't ex, uh, hasn't executed properly, or because they just lose their head, or because the opponent is what well, you got you got opponents that are trying to yeah. second guess what you're doing and and in, impede you. As but well. you know it's not the amount of variables you got to negotiate like a world class fly half has. You know as skills go on a rugby field, learning to throw a ball is not that difficult. I hate to say it, it's just not that difficult. And if you're professional and you can't throw in a ball in the same way if you're professional can't play both sides of, of the prop um, of, of the scrum, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is your job. So I can see why they're not paid that much because there's a very a variety of ways to do it. There's too much demand, sorry, too much supply, not, not enough demand. On the flip side, uh, someone with the talent of Tom Young's, um, to use an example, he spent two years learning how to play hooker before Le- Leicester took him back and then he went on to become yeah. England and British and Irish line. So Tom Young's, just to illustrate my point, uh, you can play it like a prop, you can play it like a back row, or you can play it like a centre. Anyone <laughs> yeah. can play hooker. Yeah. True. It. Uh, what were the other headlines, Phil? Um, headlines of um, the increasing um, average salary um, and how it correlates with international caps. And there is good correlation between um, the number of caps you've got and how much you're getting paid, mm. which, which is, which is, I, th- I think it is interesting. It is, is a uh, um, positive, good positive correlation between those two things. If you've got over fifty caps, your average salary or the average salary of people with over fifty caps is three hundred twenty-five k in the Premiership, Say which that is again, Phil. a lot. Fifty caps, three hundred twenty-five k average. 
Wow. Yes, which wow. is which is double, nearly double the average salary well, in the in the Premiership. And I I think that is the market forces, though, isn't it? You're you're more in demand, so to keep the player or to get the player. Yeah, I think so. Um, there'll be other things going on there, I guess, because uh, do you know what? That does sound a little bit suspicious to me, because if you're not in the England squad. Your club doesn't receive any England money for you. So the first thing you do as an agent when you have a young uh, a young player who's just signed up for England, England give them uh, give the clubs academy not academy credits what I'm talking about England credits. So this is money that you can spend in addition to your salary cap um, in order to replace that player when he goes in on international duty. So England are paying you, you know, a compensation. So you might be on your academy contract on forty-two grand, but England might pay you. I don't know what the number is. I've got a feeling it's a hundred k. I've got a feeling I'll get a text tomorrow. You're completely wrong. A um, hundred k in credits. Uh, uh, is eighty k per player. Is eighty k per player. So the first thing you do is right. Okay, thank you. You think he's worth how much? A hundred grand. Okay, and we'll have that eighty k as well, please. So the fact that it's gone up, I'm sure the credits used to be more than that. Actually probably does correlate with the fact that if they're England players, they get the credits for it. Yeah, so they can pay them a bit more in their head because they're going, well, actually, if we're paying them 320, that's only 240. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In real real terms. Yeah, well, no, in real terms, it's that. But in cap terms, it's 240. Yeah, and like you say, a a 50 cap international who you're fairly certain will be an England player is you're going, oh, yeah, that, 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 that seems like reasonable yeah and clubs have got to stop doing it because it's just not good business it's not good business. they're giving you money to replace him don't give him the money and so then the, he gets the, the international money the um the marquee or excluded players is also quite interesting go on so the average uh average salary of the excluded players that those designated as marquee players um is 450 thousand pounds mm-hmm. however because at this point there were two marquee players so and there's 12, 12 teams in the league so that meant 24 uh, marquee players the average income of the top 24 earners is 530k so nearly 80k more than the um, excluded players so there are players not excluded players who are on mega mega money which we you can probably guess who a few of those are now, how would you go about guessing that, Phil? The cars in the um, in the Bristol car park. No, they'd be away. Next question. They'd be away. Well, Bristol car park would be a good place to look because um, one of the things would be those individuals who are not eligible to be marquee players exactly. who you know would be on good money. Yeah. yeah. And, Kyle Sinclair. And as an example, if you move clubs, um, well, I said move clubs. Premiership to premiership. If you move clubs from premiership to premiership, there is a three-year embargo on you being a marquee player. You've got to be at that club for three years. Yeah. So, um, for Kyle Sinker would be a great one. Ellis Genge next year will be another one. George Ford mm-hmm. next year will be another one. Johnny Hill next year will be another one. Yeah, that's next... guys. Guys that could well they they could well be close to marquee status, or certainly they are um, in the top twenty-four best-paid players in the league or thereabouts, but will not be marquee. Players. That is another thing to consider with the looping this one back with the England international 50 cappers is quite a few of them will be marquee players. Yes. Marcus Smith will be a marquee player at Quinns. Mm, yes. 
will he? Well, he, he it would make well, sense. Should... He'll be one of their highest paid players. So, yeah. Yeah. so I think what that part of the report tells you is there's a lot of teams aren't there using the marquee player purely as a cap management tool now. Yeah. So it's not the marquee player. It's, so... Where it well, was. That, a fifty cap England international would be a marquee player. I'm wondering if he, uh, George Ford at Leicester, if he could have been, uh, he was there for three years, so he could have been this last year. He would be a marquee player. My question, uh, and, f- and in every sense of the word, I don't know the answers to this. And I'd like to, uh, but, yeah, I'd like someone to get back to me on this. But I wonder if making England players, unless they're paid an astonishing amount of money, is worth your marquee spot because you get your England credits. And you might even get some academy credits or some some such thing, or homegrown or something. So it might not make sense. Whereas if you've got Stuart Hogg on your books, there's no way to mitigate his expenditure. So I think what this... Oh, hold on. So if you put if you put Marcus Smith, let's say, in as a marquee player at Quinns, that doesn't mean you don't get the England credits or the academy credits. Okay, it does. No, it doesn't. Why? Because he's an England player. They get the compensation. Quinns get the compensation for an England well, player. Yeah, but there's two parts to this, isn't there? There's Quinn's getting the money, and there's Quinn's counting that money towards the salary. Exactly. Yeah, but it it doesn't so go I, it, it, I, it, it, it doesn't go down as oh Marcus just, Marcus Marcus Smith's a marquee player, therefore his his England money goes into the marquee circled money, and you can't well, use that for the rest no, of no, your, rest you, of your spend. Because you couldn't put Marcus Smith's 80, 80k against a different player. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. I I think I do, I think it, I'm not I'm not saying you're wrong. It, it, I, just, in, I don't know. It increases answer. the cap by that amount, whether Marcus Smith's a marquee player or not a marquee player. It increases the caps I, by that amount. Yeah, it does actually. Yeah, it does because otherwise, otherwise they just pay him the money. Yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, you're probably right actually. So no, I, yeah, so maybe maybe that is what they're doing. Yeah. Um, but it does show that teams are using this cap. Um, allocation now, not literally for their best player or the most highly paid player, but just as a cap management tool and taking the next highest paid player off off their cap for that season. And I bet they're moving it around quite quite a lot too because you get to declare it at the start of every season. Yeah, I, there will be that. Although the only scenarios where your highest paid players would not, it doesn't make sense to have them as your marquee players is where you can't have them as your marquee players. So you just move to the the highest available player to be a marquee player yeah that's what Saracens will be doing it'll be Mario Itoji one year it'll be Owen Farrell the next year mm. and particularly they might even they might their contracts may end and start a new more lucrative one or whatever it's staggered years so they can do, so do they it, can do that do you know the idea that I like I like the idea and you probably won't like this idea but I, I do that instead of having um, cap room for every single player, cap credits for every single player that goes to England. So if you've got five players that go to England, you get uh, 80 times five. Every team in the Premiership gets an equal amount of credits from England or, and an equal amount of money. That way, uh, clubs don't hoard England players. So you've got an equal amount of England players, hopefully, across the entire league. Does that make sense? I think mm-hmm. that'd be a really good way to increase com- uh, competitiveness inside the Premiership even more. Although it'd be very unpopular when you start to lose Freddie Stewart or Mario yeah. Toji because... You know, yeah, because you've... you're being compensated for not having those players. That's the point of the yeah. money. So then th- there would be no incentive to have England players. You go, no, no, you have them all and we'll just get the money and we can have a bigger squad. Yeah, basically. And a better squad. Yeah. So it wouldn't. I don't think... I think it would be too counterproductive that it would mean 
having, so, having England players is completely pointless. Well, and, and everyone would be like, no, I don't want to pay them. I'm not paying you more. I'm, it, w- it would drive down the price of England players. They would plummet. But it would also, yeah, but it would kind of be healthy for the for the sports. For the for South Africans. For the bank balance. No, 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 no. It's not, you would not want them. You, they would just be more di- evenly distributed throughout the league. So in a way... And they'd, uh, all, get, they'd all get paid less. Not necessarily, because it's salary cap, salary cap, right? So, you know, if you feel someone's worth that money, you'll still pay them that money. Okay. Anyway, uh, going down uh, any, any more from that, Phil, before we move on to... Yeah, question you guys. Stuff? Yeah, oh. question. Um, in this year, um, 2020, 2021, one club did not nominate any marquee players. And it doesn't say which club that is. Some of the question for you guys is, who do you think that is? Newcastle Falcons, because they're the lowest payer. They, they don't go up to the they don't go up to the salary cap, so they don't need to. Well, I was talking to an individual who says only Sale hit the salary cap this this year, or, or sorry, one of a handful. So not everybody is. Do you believe that? Mm. No, I don't believe that. I, don't know. I I'd be surprised. No, I'm not having yeah. that. So, um, sorry, one of a handful, not the only one. Um, okay, so... It's got to be Newcastle Falcons. Newcastle or Worcester would be my guess. No, the... not with... I mean, you'd just do that as good housekeeping, wouldn't you, if you had one of the, like those those two Scottish uh, Lions there? They weren't there then. They, yeah, this is before they arrived. But oh. they still had Francois Hoo-ha! and people like that at that point. And Ben Teo. And Ben Teo. Ben Teo must have been <laughs> the marquee player. Yeah, he was. For that matter, for, yeah. For what? Allegedly... I think this might be this might be the season before uh, season after, after Ben Tail. It was. So allegedly, yeah. I can say it's not Ben Tail. Apparently, was on three times more money at Worcester than he was his next best offer. Somewhere <laughs> a, a different club doesn't surprise me. Amazing. I, 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 I could tell you some stories about other clubs. Well, yes, please. Some uh... yes. Let, let, let... Well, I can't. I, I'm not going to say who or what club. Oh, go but... on. Tell us. Tell us. Uh, no, like, no, no, who no. told you? Go on. No, no, no. There, there, there was a player who. Got offered a Premiership contract. Um, it was three times the value of the only other offer they got from a Championship club. They had an offer on the table from a Championship club, which they'd kind of like agreed in principle. And a Premiership club came in. I know who it is. And their, op- I know who their is. opening gambit was three times that amount of money. Is it fly off? Yes. It. Yes. Uh, no. 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 I don't no, know. No, 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 comment, no, no, no. No comment. No comment. No comment. No comment. Okay. No comment. No comment. Who, which... No, no, no. It doesn't matter. Move on. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'd say Newcastle. Right, right. Now listen. Let's crack. Let's crack open a beer together and talk about booze in rugby and <gasps> no! lads' culture. No, we'll, we'll we'll alienate a certain community in Birmingham. <laughs> right. Okay. So I'm first point. I'm gonna. This is obviously related to the uh, Hugo Monnier article in the Telegraph. I'm firstly just going to stick up for Oogs on one particular point, and that is that the headline writer lobbed him under a bus, as headline writers quite often yeah. quite often do. And the headline writer isn't the same as a journalist. Yes. The journalist does not write the headline. Correct. And there is, a, there is quite often a big difference between the nuanced perspectives within a whole article and the headline, and I think there are quite a lot of people who only read the headline and didn't go any further. Partly yeah. because the Telegraph's behind a paywall. Well, no, but the BBC also run this. And uh, laddish behaviour and, you, you know... You all... surprise me. BBC running an article like that? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I am shocked. What do you know? Uh, and I, too, think it is worth sticking up for Hugo on this because you need to know what question he was asked, why he said what he did, 
Um, and, you know, it's nowhere near uh, what I think some people are saying. Like, so it's nowhere near... He's not saying ban alcohol. He's not saying do any of that. Um, there again, I still do have some substantial issues with the whole conversation. I, I think you can say... As do I. Rather than... Yeah, I think it's more... Uh, a reflection on the more broad conversation that Hugo sparked off, rather than what he said. Now, correct. That's why. That, that's how I'd. Ca- and I think having conversations and sparking conversations, there's nothing wrong with it. I think the direction it was taken in by a certain slice of uh, people just took it to a, an unnecessary, well, an unnecessary place. I don't even think it was. It polarized in that way. I don't think it polarized with the normal, you know. Um, health and safety neckbeard uh, types, <laughs> and then rugby players. I, I don't think it did that. I actually think the the reaction from the rugby community was so visceral against it that um, it did feel we were all getting actually united rugby in a massive way. Like but also made everyone very defensive too, because I think okay, let, let's just let's just state what was said. Right, Ugo said that. We need to think about the drinking culture in rugby because if you were were in a certain Muslim community in, say, Birmingham, alcohol might put you Uh, off. That wasn't the reason for him saying it. He was talking about it more broadly, but then said, for example... Yeah, for example, yeah. If if we're going to grow the game... Yeah. Yeah. And now I have many, many problems with this now. Many, many problems with Well, yeah, and you very bravely shared them on Twitter, a a forum where... Nuance is not allowed, and people will um, <laughs> will chuck a, a lens on a 240-character tweet and infer the very worst things about people. Yeah. Uh, so, so you you were you were brave. I wouldn't have uh, put out what, what what you did. I can totally see the point you were making, and I understand it. But uh, there are a lot of people just waiting not to see the point you were making. Yeah. So there. The first point I'd make about what Ugu said was that I think the article itself and then the subsequent conversation conflates two different problems. So if you're talking about a conservative Muslim household not wanting to send their sons to the rugby club... Hold on, is this the main thrust of Ugo's article? Did you take from that that it was about m- reaching out to the Muslim community? Because I only took that as one very small part of his point. Yeah, and it gets conflated with the second part, which is toxic drinking culture and, and laddishness. Yeah. Do, do, do you agree with that? Well, yeah, I, I would say that was the main thrust, and then he just, <laughs> and then it was more. Uh, for example, if we want to grow the game, how do we? Is it going to put off? Um, right, we need to stop that. Right, this is perfect. So I think we should stop. Stop there. So one of the phrases I've heard regularly spoken about is, if rugby wants to be the game it claims it claims it claims it wants to be, it has to do X Y Z, and shock horror, X Y Z is always a thing that it is socially important to the people saying. If rugby wants to be wants to be what it says it wants to be, because of course that's it, you know they they start with that premise and I hate it. Who gave them the right to uh, be the arbiters of saying what rugby wants to say it is? Um, who gave you know who who is giving that mandate? Uh, I, I I don't recognise that that mandate. I've never sat down with um, anyone and said this is what I want rugby to be. I want rugby to be what rugby is. I, I don't have an overarching wish to change the sport that dramatically in any which way, really. Well, I, and, and to that point, and sorry, I know, Phil, you can you should come in, mate, but um, like engineering anything, I'm 
dead against because yeah. things find their way. And, like you know, look at any social issue you want to pick, any of the isms. Look at how it's changed in the last 20, 30 years. That isn't because it was engineered. That's because things change organically. And when things are, are left alone, they they find their path and they find their way as rugby's different now than it was 20 years ago on the field, off the field. But to try and engineer and say, we need to manufacture the type of off field environment we want. And uh, it, it just doesn't work like that. That's... Yeah. I, I, I just hate the thought of it. So uh, it goes down this surprise, surprise inclusion narrative, which just means blandling down and, dulling down rugby clubs to the point that if you appeal to everybody you appeal to nobody the best clubs have their their identity set in stone and this is not to say that you exclude people it is to say though so the example i gave is there's a welsh-speaking club in north wales who everybody who plays against them roundly hates and they give the impression that they roundly hate you which is great the whole point of that club is to serve the that particular part of wales their their town, their village absolutely loves them. They're proud of them. And the reason is because they do a bloody good job of representing that village. Now, they're not closed off to the world. But if you join that club, you'll be expected to fit in with the culture of that club. You know, it's not an inclusionary culture. The actual attractiveness of it is its exclusionary nature. It is for basically Welsh-speaking farmers. That's great. They're allowed to have a club. In the same way, the King's Cross Steelers are allowed to have a like a allowed to have a club if you go into the king's king 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 cross Steelers or any team which is representing any community and you start saying no no this is not good enough for me you need to change you won't be welcome you've got to buy into what they represent and what they stand for so you know yeah it's it's like going you couldn't go to uh uh, and i'm trying to pick a club that phil will know as well wharfdale let's say in the Mm. in the dales out in the middle of nowhere near near skipton isn't it and a lovely part of the world but I, ima- but I imagine if you went there and uh, demanded that, um, uh, de- just went there in the club and said that rural pursuits, shooting, <laughs> yeah, uh, shooting yeah. pheasants yes. is, is outrageous. Yeah. Can I put my anti-fox hunting stuff on your club? <laughs> no, you can't. Not in Kirby Ronsdale. No, no, no. So no, that, that's how I look at it. Yeah, all these clubs are open to you, but you have to pull. You know, you have to toe the line. Now, that doesn't mean that they're excluding you on your sex or your race or your gender or what, anything like that. Just different clubs have different, um, you know, a different feel about them. What I really hated about the, uh, you know, maybe we need to look at the drinking culture to get, you know, a certain community through the door, um, is that that community is not coming, is not not coming through the door because, uh, you know, we're all acting like, uh, absolute lads doing like, initiations every week. That's incredibly rare anyway. If, compl- if they're worried about alcohol, they're worried about any alcohol. You know, So I really got annoyed with the fact that, yeah, I, because people kind of, they do understand this, but they want to get onto ground where everyone can agree. So instead of actually talking honestly about it, they say, yeah, and what we're talking about is this toxic lad culture, which we'll come on to in, in a bit. But no, what they're actually saying is, you know, if you want to get a conservative Muslim community into a traditional rugby club, as you said, the alcohol is off-putting. And my point is, well, we need to make sure that they're definitely going to come to the rugby club if you start unstitching the very fabric of the club. And so I just think it was, you know, I just don't, I don't think it's a very thought, well thought-out position in um, 
in that respect. Well, it's like opportunity costing, which is the sort of uh, economical way that Phil would look at this, is um, how many people would you just say, oh, well, this, this, isn't, this isn't what I want. It, to to attract a slice of people that might never go there in the first place. Yeah, so I know of a club, a club I used to play for, um, and the men's side is not in the best of health. But it does a lot of other good things. It's got a women's team, it's got a mixed ability team, it's got all these other things. That's just the way it's decided to take its rugby club. Rugby clubs can change and they can do different things. I wouldn't rejoin that club now because that's not the sort of club that I want to rejoin. I'd like to, you know, if I was going to go back and rejoin, I'd rejoin in North Wales, a club which is really, really competitive on the men's side because that's what I enjoy doing there's nothing wrong though with what they've done there's nothing wrong with branching out and trying to engage different people just not for me uh, so the point I made on Twitter is maybe we need to look at supporting or the RFU needs to be supporting clubs that do things differently rather than trying to appropriate existing clubs and making them change and the really nasty insidious thing that the BBC did because they're stupid um, is they wrote underneath Ugo's comments at a time when numbers, when participation numbers are dropping, which is true. But what you see as a reader is you say, oh, the people are drinking, therefore numbers are dropping. There is a correlation between yeah. dr- drink, uh, laddish culture and numbers dropping. Well, hang on a second. If we look at the actual data behind alcohol, we'll see that people are drinking less in general. So is it the fact that we're drinking less, which is driving <laughs> pl- people away? Well, I mean, if we're going to play that stupid game, you know, this is what the absolute idiots that write these um, articles do. Um, so no, uh, not having that at all. But yeah, the RFU did a really good job, I think, uh, you know, supporting Withenshaw Rugby Club, a part of Manchester which has never had a rugby club or any rugby history, um, set up a rugby club, and that's brilliant. They can go and build a club which you know reflects the values of that community, and that is absolutely great. And that's what they should do. Uh, so if the, you so so in Withenshaw, that would have to be a proper. And not wanting to be, I, I, I don't want to be patronising here because I've, I've, I've played at clubs like this. It would have to be a proper spit and sawdust, salt of the earth. You wouldn't. It can't be Didsbury Talk H. It can't be Didsbury Talk H. No, it can't be. Yeah, yeah. No. It's work, work. It's a working man's club. Yeah, yeah I'm not going to demand everyone wears. Club. Yeah, I'm not going to demand everyone wears um, blazers and drinks Negronis on day one. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get there eventually, <laughs> right? But that's not how that's not how it's starting. Uh, so, I did, Jay, Jay. I like your. You mentioned your Twitter um, post. I, I've I've not really been on Twitter this week, which is probably a good week not to be on Twitter. But um, I think you or someone shared um, one of the reactions to your Twitter post, which was quite incredible, actually. Which was um, accusing you of um, pushing for segregation and apartheid. In, in rugby. Apartheid. Seg- yeah, basically apartheid, segregating the Muslim community, the men's community, the women's community, and the gay com- gay rugby oh, community. It was pointed out to me that the uh, on Reddit they did exactly the same thing, mate. Of course they do. Of yeah. course they do. They're not very bright. I mean, that's the problem with these people. <laughs> Look, if you really believe that apartheid in South Africa was, you know, about gay people having their own rugby teams, you're mad. Like, <laughs> I don't think you understand the complexity of the political situation. And I'm, I'm not saying that. You know, the best way to accept someone is to have them actually you know, within your group and get to know them and, and whatnot. But you can't just say, look, we're going to have wholesale changes to a rugby club on the off chance that we might, um, you know, attract this segment of the population that makes up like 15% of yeah. you know, the populace. But, but, and on a very small scale and leaping back to actual rugby, when Andre Pollard arrives at Leicester, he will fit in with whatever they do there. 
Yes. <laughs> he, doesn't go, yeah. he doesn't go, oh, no, I don't, I don't like this. Yeah. He, because that, that's, you know, the identity is, is a wonderful thing and to be cherished. And in some clubs, that is Negronis and Blazers. Uh, yeah. In some clubs, that's a nice cheap bitters and, and uh, everyone gets steaming um, every yeah. Saturday night, whatever. So, the, I mean, Joe Marler said something in the press the other day about rugby having an image being too middle class and too white. And this thing, this stuff just drives me insane. And I guess it's the same can be said for Joe Andugo on this, which is, you know, if you have spent 20 years in the professional game uh, and a mixture of the Twickenham stoop and Twickenham, you will have an image of rugby which doesn't necessarily tally to the image that we have up in the north. Every weekend that I go out and play, I do not... I mean, my club is a, is actually very middle class, but in the you league go to itself... Duck, Duckingfield and... Yeah. Ash, uh, Ashton uh, and the line. Fantastic clubs. Yeah, I mean... I, but you, you do not get the impression that Joe Marler talks about when you go to these clubs. Yeah, exactly right. You know, I, I've got no end of respect for the clubs like Widnes and Oldham and Liverpool St. Helens and LSH and all the clubs that, that, that we visit because they do a great job at representing that, you know, their, their location, their, you know, their values, their geography. And so I don't like the self-flagellation which continually comes at rugby because it's cool or trendy or because you get likes or the media lap um, uh, the media lap it up. I don't know what happens down south, whether they do have a, like a, a Bullingdon Club culture and maybe you know there's an element of you know, private school kids running wild or whatnot. I don't know. I doubt it. But it, it must be very different to what exists up here. Very, very mm. different. So my, my biggest frustration with this is it, if you don't know much about rugby... It paints a picture, and uh, whether uh, Tim, you made a great point in the start about um, nuance being lost in these articles, and particularly because I've not read the full um, Telegraph article, I've just read the BBC's interpretation. The nuance is oh, definitely right. lost. Yeah, in that. yeah God, it's, it was it's but, total agenda driven. Yeah, but you you would get if you if you didn't know anything about the rugby clubs, you'd get the uh, rugby rugby clubs. You'd get the impression that they were. Dens of iniquity with people binge drinking twenty four seven, doing horrendous things, and that's that's not the case all the it, time. It, not quite all, not twenty four seven certainly. No. But I guess there's a there's almost like a definitional gap here because there are we would all agree, everyone would would agree that certain um, alcohol related issues are big problems. I, not wanting to go into it in detail, but drink driving as an example, there is no sane person that would suggest that drink driving is a good thing. But that's yeah. not that's that's not what is happening here, and it feels like it's getting painted with that same brush. So it feels like the oh, it, it's this articles like this are doing actual harm to the game because they're painting a perception to society that rugby is not a nice sport and not a tolerant sport and not all the things that we know it is. Yeah, so that, that, that's a really good point. And what was said to me was, look, I'm just telling you about what the perception is. I was like, okay, that's very good. But if you carry on telling everyone the perception is this, that will become the perception. You know, and, and it's not... Re- the problem is with, with rugby, that there, there is an element, of course, that we do drink really hard. And that's fine. I, you know, there's a couple of guys in my club. There's one guy in particular who doesn't drink, and we never see him in, in, in the club because he decides that he doesn't want to be around alcohol full stop. And he's incredibly, incredibly important to everything that we've done, but he just doesn't come in the club. And you know what? That's fine too. Like No one's trying to force anything, that, uh, uh, anything down, down his throat. 
you do get that in like university uh, uh, rugby. Well, um, yeah, I hear, I hear this a lot, and I'm, I'm not doubting that, that it has happened, and it may well be that, that individuals feel like they they uh, they can't opt out. But my experience has been many people have opted out, and it's never no one cares. Yeah, because on the on the whole lab. In, in right? fact, Joe Joe Alab was our like best player in our Bath University team, and he, he was completely teetotal. He was like, "No, I'm not having any of it." No. Yeah, you can do what you want when you're the best player, though. Uh, I mean that's just you know, but I guess well, there, was, there was a bunch like that. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the point point I was going to make, and one which I've made before, is you know, there's a lot of students that we pick up as a club, and they don't want to be involved with the uni lads because they're boys, 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 lads, lads, lads. That's fine. Let the uni boys go and do that, and then you come to us, and you'll be well looked after. You know, it's fine. Everyone, everyone has a place. The point I made on Twitter, which unbelievably upset people is it should be about diversity of clubs. There should be a place for everyone to play, and, and clubs should cater to different people. If all the clubs start looking the same, then we're going to have nothing left. It's the club identity. Everybody loves to play against uh, a team that is different to you. I mean, that's that's what you love doing. And also what I quite like about that is that you put it back onto market forces. What does... You know... All rugby clubs are in the interest of having the most number of happy people at their club. Yes. And so leave, just leave the clubs to find their audience and find like any business. Just I just it, Yeah. Now there's the next thing, right, which I really detest is lad culture. Uh, you detest it or you detest the conversation about it? I detest it? the conversation about it. Because it automatically paints certain male traits as being toxic. And it just winds me up to no end. You know, if men want to get together and drink, that's fine. And the problem, as we've said so many times, is the people that you are worst to in the world are usually the people that you're closest to on paper. You know, so if you look at the, you know, the conversations you have with your brothers, you would say the most offensive thing to them because they're your brothers and you don't take it too seriously. Yet there are people now who say, oh, well, you know, that's just toxic masculinity. That's, you know, that's lad culture. That's, you know, and they're lumping all this stuff together. And that's, I think, the least healthy thing which Ugo's article did, which was lump this toxic lad culture in with not being able to attract, you know, um, uh, ethnic minority players. What? I mean, that's just nonsense. Now, by the way, he didn't say that, but that's how the conversation was then later on, later on interpreted. Yeah, whatever a group of men want to do amongst themselves is completely up to them. It's completely up to them. Nobody else. Well, I would, yeah, I'll go further. It's like, if you think it is your place to judge what other consensual adult adults do with their time within the bounds of the law, get over yourself. Yeah. You've got no right to have any say whatsoever. I can, yeah. Rugby is a strange one as well because it's so unusual compared to your day-to-day life. You do have to be a little bit competitive and a little bit, you know, um, on the far end of the male spectrum, I guess, to want to like to want to play it you, you just do yeah it's, it's one of those things it's why there's a, a huge uh venn diagram overlap with the military yes and, and rugby because both the military at like rugby and you know you could say boxing and various there'd be lots of venn diagrams that would overlap it's it's an incredibly quote unquote masculine thing to do in traditional masculine traits of bravery and courage to even just i've got respect for anyone that runs on a rugby field at whatever level. Yes. Because you have to be a very, very brave person to do it. Yeah, completely. And the last thing uh, as well. Um, 
drinking gets a bad rap. I love drinking. I think all three of us love drinking. Um, but sometimes... Some of my best memories in rugby have been with a, with a beer in my hand. Some of my best memories in general have been with a beer in my hand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, but a simple fact of life is people use beer and drink as a social lubricant. If you've had a really hard week in work or, or whatnot, if you're in a new club... Uh, or if you don't know someone, just getting to know someone over a beer. That's why people say get to know someone over a beer, because you get to relax a bit more. If you, you know, there's a bit of tension, or you know, you're a bit uptight. It just helps relax the situation. We shouldn't just be looking to demonise it all the time. Situations are really, really, really complex, and a lot of people who complain about mental health. I mean, the, the worst types of people, right? You know, um, they seem to overlook the fact that it's actually quite hard to make friends. Like. There's some study out there, and it says it's actually harder to make friends than it is find a partner. So if you just leave someone on the street, go make a friend, that's actually more daunting, uh, as, or as daunting a task as as you can have. Oh, so, as adults, like I'm, yeah. I've always been like, you get this with your kids, the age they are. What I'm so jealous of uh, be friends? of kids where they're like, oh, you're about my age, let's be best mates for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like just saying, to someone, do you want a beer? Is the easiest way to say, shall we be mates? But without actually having to say it, because men hate doing that shit. So I just don't like the whole, you know, beating up on uh, rugby, rugby culture, rugby traditions. Um, there was a podcast I listened to the, the other day, and it explained how some academics are getting to the top of their profession now. And it's, when they get to the top, they then start disassembling it, saying, oh, actually, now I'm at the top. It's important for me to say that all this should be knocked down and... Uh, it should be knocked down for, you know, this, that, and, you know, whatever historic reason. I do see a lot of that in in rugby now. I see a lot of it with um, all the campaigns, I'm sorry, Tim, all the campaigns that BT Sports run, calling you an online bully or calling you a potential racist or calling you, or Saracens wanting to call you a potential sexual abuser or at least a harbour of an abusive friend, um, potential homophobe, you know, the list goes on and on and on and on. And I think it's a real detriment to, well, to the sport, actually. Uh, yeah, and I think that echoes the point you made earlier, Phil, where I cannot think of... When I look at my life, when I look back on my life, the fact I went along to Newbury Rugby Club, I was the first person in my family ever to play rugby, and my mum took me along to Newbury Rugby Club. That that, that was ge- genuinely life-changing. Mm. Bec- uh, for in a number of ways i um my parents had split up and so i had you know kind of you know great male role models all all around the place and it it also i was at a state school and um it taught me how to mix with all sorts of different people and i don't have that sort of uh i've never had that um that sense of inferiority over people that were like, you know, better educated and went to better schools and that, which some, some people do when you, when you get to, I never had that because I had enough of sizing them up and chatting to them and, re- and breaking all, down all those barriers in rugby clubs that I knew I, I, it just, it taught just purely in life terms. And, you know, look at, look at what's happened. I'm a, I'm a sort of broadcaster and my, and my world is communication. And I put a massive amount of that down to the fact that I spent years in, in a rugby club. I, I honestly yeah. put a massive amount of it down to it, so I, I just think you can't, you cannot get a better place to, particularly boys, because as much as people want to say there's no difference between boys and girls and men and women, it's all socialised. That's bollocks. It's baked in over millions of years, and a rugby club is about the most positive place you can take a boy, yeah, to become a man. Well, because teaching them it's okay to be strong and physical, aggressive. And here is an outlet for it, which you can celebrate that and be positive and, and control it. Yeah, and control it and channel it. And and 
a massive part, as as we've already talked about, with the people that that uh, rugby attracts have higher, on average, levels of competitiveness, aggression, all those sorts can, of things. Yeah. You can channel it, but a big part of that is to act, to be that kind of person that runs out on a rugby field. You're also the kind of person that loves those kind of quote unquote male bonding experiences, which quite often happens over a beer. If that's not what you want, that's absolutely fine. No one is saying get out of my club because you don't drink, but let the boys play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there is. <laughs> it is so easy to misunderstand. I mean, there've been some horrendous incidents recently. There was, there was um, the guy in Scotland who unspeakable things ha- happened to him on a rugby bus, which was absolutely horrendous. The problem is, young men are stupid. You know, they are just stupid. I have no two. Uh, you know, there's no two ways about it. Uh, you get them all into a group uh, between 19 and 25. All sorts of things can go wrong because they're naturally they're not aggressive. Testosterone makes you incredibly competitive. Everyone's trying to one up themselves, and 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 the frontal cortex in your brain hasn't yeah. isn't fully developed to 25. Exactly. Which is why which is why I've said to my kids when you're when you're old enough and your friends start driving. Just, just don't get in the car with yeah, lads. Exactly. Just don't get in the car with lads. Yeah, uh, and that probably uh, probably equates to why university rugby teams are so much more extreme than uh, actual rugby teams because you know of that dynamic. Back to your thing. Although about, universities have shut that stuff right down over the last few years. No, they just do it. It um, goes underground. It goes massively underground. Mm. They're still uh, they're still up to it. They're, yeah, they're, and you know if they don't do it in the rugby club, they'll find somewhere else to do it because they're young men. You know the, the, the idea of being a young man hasn't changed. To your point about mixing, the most important thing for me about the rugby club is in intergenerational mixing. That's it's, such a great point. Yeah, you just don't get it, do you? You're siloed at home on, on your Instagram, going through Instagram reels or, or, or whatnot. You know, the club, you actually meet, uh, you know, the guys who are playing in the Colts all the way to the guys who are 60 and just love what, watching the game. And it, it couldn't be a, a better a better way to meet a varied array of people who you do not meet in your normal life. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. So, yeah. So I, I, think, I think Phil, me and JB have talked loads. I think Phil made the best point of all which is stop beating up on the sport we love because all you're actually doing is lessening the chances that any of these people that you say your objective is to try and reach will ever consider the sport that we love so stop stop moaning about the sport let's celebrate all the amazing stuff Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Right. Can I, yes. um, can I talk about something completely different for one second? Yeah, go on. Yes, please. Do you know I used to say Monday morning meetings? Mm-hmm. Ooh. Uh, Bristol. Watch out for Bristol this week. Something interesting is happening. I can't get to the bottom of what. I believe something interesting. Well, um, we got sent a little email of a of a poster that someone saw in between Bristol and Bath, and uh, they said, "I wonder if Pat Lansbury's just been listening to the podcast and he's doing something just to wind you up." Because the poster selling season tickets at Bath is a uh, is it Ed Joyce, the guy that's been there for ages. Yeah, uh, Joyce. And and and, and the, his hashtag love the bears, and he's doing a heart symbol with his hands. Oh, so much love, <laughs> love on Bristol, so much isn't love. there? Fair play. <laughs> they just love each other. Well, it's not going to be Pat Lamb going. Is it? Because he's got another six years on his contract. 20, isn't it? He? He's there for 20 <laughs> years. <laughs> there, um, there. Um, other other off-field um, rugby news. Go on. There's only, there's only one minor thing on my radar from this week, other than what we've discussed, which was the TMO protocols that World Rugby have uh, refreshed. And reading it, I don't know if you've either of you have read it, but my take on it is basically they're kind of setting the protocols to allow what generally happens, certainly happens in the premiership anyway. So the, the TMO, they've been given slightly more remit to act as a sweeper to pick up on its four main areas. It's, it's try scoring, dangerous play, knock-ons and um, grounding the ball, touching goal type decisions. So, I think just to proactively do it in the background rather than stopping down the game to ask them. Precisely. Yeah. That that's my take on it. When I, and when I started reading it, I thought, oh yeah, this is just kind of cementing what we what we've already benefited from in the Premiership um, yeah. going backwards. So I don't think it'll lead to many changes. Certainly not for us watching. Uh, the, the only other brief thing I would just sort of pick up on just we've just come off the back of. Uh, I think 50,000 was the attendance at the Barbarians. Uh, when you look at the attendance at Premiership Finals, it has been declining over the years, and this was the lowest in, well, I, I don't know when the last time it was as low as it is, but it wasn't a sellout. Mm. It was, it was, you could argue that's just the teams that were involved and maybe Saracens aren't as widely a followed club. But I was just, and obviously we're in a, in a period of time now where people are going, oh, you know, I think there's I think there's a number of things at play which they could change. One, the way that the end of the season has been scheduled has been dreadful, where you have these big long week gaps where there's a couple of weeks of European rugby, so you don't kind of get a, a build up and a flow, and then all of a sudden semi final final one week the next week. Yeah, I think semi final final has got to be well grouped. Um, I, I do think there is something in the fact that people are still really getting back to normal. I mean, they just are. Uh, Unusual, though, that... It is, last... a tr- it is a trend, though, Yeah, it's going down. But the last few finals have been... I mean, Saracens don't have a huge fa- fan base. You, I would have hoped that Tiger's been back would have sold out. But, mm. Yeah. It is a bit worrying. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I w- it, wonder... I'd, what I'd like to see is what's the, what's the price of the tickets over that period of time? Because if the tickets are growing, the tickets... Ten years ago, um, when they were selling out every year, the average ticket was forty or fifty quid, and now the average ticket is one hundred and twenty quid. Then yeah. that, that might answer it more than anything else. Well, yeah, it's true. Allegedly, the tickets when Leicester were last at a final a decade ago were thirty quid for the cheapest mm. ticket, and now it's ninety. 
Uh, well, at, well, at mo- well, no, it's not. St- it's not average. It doesn't. Wouldn't average at ninety. I'm no, sure. no, 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 lowest. No, 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 no. Well, that's what. Uh, that's that's what. Uh, that's lowest me. tickets were not ninety quid. That's. Uh, I was making the rounds on 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 Twitter. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted not, if I'm not right. On no, that. you're not right. You're not right on that. But just a few other things that could play into this um, is one. There's loads of games that happen at Twickenham and stuff, and and I, I wonder if you you dilute what the showpiece occasion means if you have half a dozen premiership matches at Twickenham through the season. Ah, well, I've got an idea for this. So Mario was talking this uh, uh, this week about growing the game and maybe taking some games away from tw- away from Twickenham. Uh, I think he probably meant England games there. And that won't happen because, of course, the whole England ecosystem works on filling up tw- Twickenham. That's, the, mm. that's how it works, right? It's the Pre- cash cow. The Premiership, though, I think they should give this some thought. So what do you think of my little harebrained scheme which I hatched uh, early, earlier on today? So with the NFL, teams compete to host the Super Bowl. So you might play in New York, even though New York is not playing. So I think every team should put a bid together who wants to bid for it to host the Premiership final. Now, just because a team is bidding for it, it doesn't mean that they um, have to play it in their stadium. They're just the host team. So Sale might say, okay, we are going to host it in the Etihad Stadium. Um, We're going to host you in Manchester. We'll take a a third, you guys, and then the two participating teams get a third. Something like that. And I think it'd be quite exciting. So every year we find out what, who the bids are and then who will win it for two or three years in the future. So it might be Newcastle, the Falcons are hosting it, Falcons themed up in St. James's Park. Uh, if they were to win it, or it could be Sale at the Etihad, or uh, Tigers even at Welford Road, or wherever, you know, wherever they want to do it, uh, and just see what bids 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 come in. So you reward the team that wants to put on a real show, uh, and obviously the two um, part- participating finals teams. I like it, as you say, won't won't happen. Of course, it won't. Of course, happen. it won't happen. Of course, it won't. But happen. no, I, I like it. I, I'm interested. I, I, so the, the the diluting the Twickenham thing because you have loads of games at Twickenham was one. And the other thing, I was thinking back to when I used to go every year, regardless of who the team was, uh, when I was growing up at Newby Rugby Club, to the Pilkington Cup final, as it was then. Oh, yeah. And it was the big showpiece club occasion of the year. And whatever the teams were, we would always go. A couple of busloads would go down. And we would tailgate, basically. We'd have picnic mm. tables out, and all the kids would be, we'd be running around playing touch in the West Car Park, which was grass back then. And the adults would be getting, going back to, they'd be getting hammered, and getting the barbecues on and all the rest of it. But now, you can't do any of that. You have to probably pay 15 quid to get a parking spot, and then you have to go in and... 15 quid? Well, Come I, would, on. I would imagine so. More than that. 20 quid, whatever. 20, 25 Ooh. quid for a parking spot. And then you have to go in and buy your £10 burger and £7 Guinness. Tell you what, I think uh, a premiership final at Tottenham would be quite cool. Um, mm. uh, or Arsenal, something like, like that. The Premiership can go wherever it wants. It doesn't need to go to Twickenham. I mean, it'd, it'd be quite embarrassing for everyone if they went to the Millennium Stadium, but it'd be a bloody good day out. Be great day out. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, just one thing, and uh, I just thought it was one thing that um, was worth mentioning. I agree that we, you shouldn't make any hard and fast judgments because it is still, like you say, getting back to normal. Yeah, I, I'll always. I always think the biggest missed opportunity in COVID was not playing games in unusual 
places because oh, yeah. we only stay in stadiums because we need fans. But on, if you board get... an, on board an aircraft carrier. Exactly, <laughs> exactly right. They could have played on board HMS Prince of Wales or HMS Queen Elizabeth. Uh, just rolled out some artificial turf they in the, gr- in the grounds of Buckingham Palace. They could have done anything. Do you, do you know, like when you used to play Street Fighter and they had the most insane <laughs> backgrounds? You could play it on top of Snowdon. You could do anything you wanted. And what they do play it in front of empty in an empty stadiums, ridiculous. But they don't listen to me, did, do they? They don't listen to me. One one day they will, Jay. One, one day. day. Well, I'm in charge. But the uh, certain slice of people on Twitter slash Reddit. Oh, they uh, listen to me. They listen to you. Every word you say. <laughs> And then, uh, and then twist and mischaracterize, yeah, and demonize. No, no one listens to them outside of their their like their group. I mean, that's it, isn't it? That's it. I don't know. Right, we're done. Yes. Any more for any more? We done. We're done. done. Phil's desperate to go. I, I can always tell when Phil's like, I want to, I want to go now. I've no, got to go. no, I've got to go up early in the morning because he just stops talking. No, it's a rail strike. He's, he's got nowhere to go. That's on Tuesday though, not tomorrow. Yeah, but I'm working from home all this week. Oh, you're so lucky. I've got to go in tomorrow. <laughs> Have you? Do you? Yeah. <laughs> See, right? Of course. I, no, I really want to go in tomorrow. Nah. Can't wait. <laughs> uh, right. All right. Uh, we're done. Let the boys play. Let the boys play. Cheers, boys. Bye-bye. Nice one, Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.